Welcome to episode 177 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is Fairgrounds' very own Kevin Kilroy. Me and Kevin go over three races from this past Saturday. Those races are 1, 7, and 9. And some angles that we talk about are how pace might be the most important of the four pillars at the lowest level in the condition book. And also, and we also talk about what can be done to help trainers that don't have the biggest barn on the backside. This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old Now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's edition of Redboard Rewind. We've had him on plenty. We're talking about Fairgrounds' very own analyst, Kevin Kilroy. Kevin, how are you? What's up, Spencer? How you doing, man? I'm good, good. Happy to uh, be back at the Fairgrounds. Excited to talk about a couple of races here. How has the meet been for you? I know we're a couple more weeks than the last time we talked in. How is, uh, how's the Fairground meet going? I know, I know we've had a little bit of rain le- recently for a couple of the days. Yeah, the weather's been a little up and down. But for the most part, it's been pretty good. We've been we've been having fair weather, not too cold or anything. But yeah, it's been good. We're about halfway through the meet, and uh, you know, it's just been interesting. It's just been a little bit different than last year. With no turf racing. Um, the cards have just been a little bit uh, a little bit different. We've had a lot of state bred races, which is cool with me, man. I, I love the Louisiana circuit, and I, I follow it closely. Um, and it's been you know it's been it's been great watching Ray, man. He's been riding fantastic, Ray Gutierrez, and Calhoun's having a great meet. Cox is winning left and right. We've got some cool trainers like Patricia West, who's having just a storybook season. She's won like seven of 18, three stakes races. She's got a runner in the uh, Silver Bullet Day, Nora G. Um, there's been a lot of cool stuff. So, you know, it's uh, it's neat, man. It's my just my second meet being there and just to be able to follow the stories and, and be a part of it. You know, man, I love it. I've always said this when it comes down to trainer titles and all that. I mean, seven for 18, three stake races, like you would feel like that kind of number would be anywhere around, you know, a trainer title. But it's always these guys who throw 200 horses in. They have races every every type of class level, distance, yeah. surface. And for me, I mean, if you're seven of 18, like I'm not saying you need to like go to like the BCS voting system or anything like this. But I mean, they should figure out a way to, OK, 100, like average out because obviously racing, there's no new tracks coming as far as we know. Average out the last 10 years, any type of, you know, amount of runners. Okay. They got to get to this to be up for, to be up for the title, because I think that would help the bigger barns. A, maybe not take as many horses into the higher profile. Like, Cause everyone just sees 25% and they want to win. So they just yeah. all go to these, like, you know, I don't know, eight to 15 trainers in the country. Maybe by that, if they're like, okay, we're going to pick our spots a little bit more, you know, maybe, a t- maybe a horse gets an extra week or two off. Now we really know that, you know, listen, they're always going for wins, but like, I think it would even out the top 10 to 15 trainers on every circuit, especially when claims start going in, you know, it trainers obviously will drop to win, but then technically you're giving up, I think better horses, you know, to other people around the track. Yeah. Yeah. So are you saying that 
the smaller barns with these high with these good rates, they should be celebrated more. Is that what, is that what yeah, you're getting at? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, man, I, I think it's such a great idea, dude. You always have fantastic ideas whenever we, we get on and, and talk, man. It's I think that would be awesome because there's different ways to be like the top trainer and have the best meat, mm-hmm. right? And if those stories aren't told, they're not celebrated, then we're just not. Yeah, owners don't know about those people, don't know about those trainers, don't know about those barns. And yeah, like you're saying, the super trainers just keep on growing because that's all anybody's talking about, man. I, I think you're right on. Well, listen, when they, when they win on the big racing days, let them win those four or five races. But when it comes down to meat by meat, you know, that was how I used to do Saratoga. If I found guys and I kept really, really good track, obviously, before Formulator, I mean, I would find guys that were four for five every year for two or three years. And I would always they would always be paying, you know, not boxcar, but I'm talking, you know, 16 to 25 dollar winners, which isn't too shabby. And I right. all, every single year I find one or two spots and I'm like, this is the spot. This is where they're aiming for. Bang, they hit. You know, maybe they go two for five for the year. But the, I, it's a lot easier for me to find these lower level, not lower level trainers, but lower barn trainers than it is to try and figure out, okay, which Cox is going to run today out of the 12 he's got in the card. Yeah, yeah, that, that can be hard. And then I get a little bit like... Um... I'm such an underdog, you know, sort of like mentality mm-hmm. sports fan. I'm like, all right, we got to beat this, you know, Cox horse today. We got to beat this, you know, whatever big super barn horse today. And it, that doesn't always pay, and you know, kind of blind some of my handicapping to tell you the truth. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, the small barns are, are fun and, and you can kind of figure them out a little bit more, man. They do target specific spots and, you know, sometimes they have bad racing luck too. I've seen, you know, like Duhan, Joe Duhan. He was just sitting out runners left and right. He's a Louisiana circuit trainer, uh, you know, been in the sport for decades. And he had like nine seconds and one win, at, you know, through like 28 or 30 runners or something crazy like that. Almost had just a huge season, but finally he started to get the wins. So sometimes it's just this little bit of racing luck and, you know, all those sort of things that can, can make it really hard on those small trainers when they, do have that live barn. So paying attention to those two, you know, it's not just, not just the wind column in terms of really having a good feel for who's, uh, who's got a good, uh, good barn this meet. I know you were talking about the state breads earlier. I know you like to follow a lot of, you know, Evangeline Downs, et cetera, places like that. How much better do you feel like your handicapping is when it comes to being able to follow, you know, maybe the minor league tracks before they come up to the big leagues, you know, a lot of times yeah. people talk about jumping class levels and it's, I think it's harder to do it at smaller tracks than bigger tracks. And, you know, you find that weird Evangeline horse that, you know, maybe is one, two of three. And you're like, they're going to fit in really well here at the fairgrounds. Yeah. I mean, for me, I thought that I would have a really big meet in terms of my in terms of my betting, you know, because I've been following the, the circuit really closely. I'm like, I'm going to know these runners. I'm going to know these connections. and I'm going to be able to, to capitalize. But it just hasn't worked out that way, man. I, I feel like I'm, I'm much better of a public handicapper in terms of offering information because i know all these people i feel real comfortable with you know who they are and sort of some of their approaches or what they're doing in the races so i've got more information to say but just hasn't translated the windows which is pissing me off man to tell you the truth so but you know it's it's a long meet i think uh possibly in the second half i can i can rally man because you know it's all about that gambler I've, i've always said this when it comes down to just being a gambler in general especially in specific meets when you're there every single day in day out Break it down to quarters. Break it down to weeks. And, you know, if you have three or four bad weeks, but, you know, the meet's 12 weeks long, and then you have, you know, eight eight winners the next eight weeks, that should offset the bad three opening weeks. It's it's so hard when you, when you have a longer meet like this and you're just always zeroed in. Like, you know, I started off so bad that first month, and then you're just digging out of the hole. I'm not saying forget yeah. the first month, but, you know, I, that's the information learning. 
Now it's, okay, let's break it down. Let's have a good second and third month and try to get into that deficit. That, that's how I've always tried to look at gambling because at the end of the day, yes, numbers matter, but not until we're on that December 31st at the end of the year. It doesn't really matter if you're a winner or a loser. Right. Yeah. It's like when you get your quarterly call, you yeah. know, that's when the, the earnings, everything matters, right? You can't just think in terms of day to day. You've got to have that, that longer vision. I think that's right on, man. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely tough with my bankroll because I don't have a big one. Yeah. So when it starts out slow, it's like, oh shit, you know, and you've got to tighten up or get conservative or just it becomes a little bit more scared money. So, uh, but I feel like I'm in a good spot, had a little upswing last week and, uh, man, I'm just trying to get better at making bigger bets but less bets if that makes sense like i've had this yeah. problem where i try to when i have a strong opinion i'll tr i'll jump into too many pools with it i'll play the pick three i'll play the you know the double in and out and i'll fucking exact it and all this stupid shit right and when i'm right it's nice but it just makes it so much harder to be right in all those different ways and you get the takeout for each of the bets you know it's mm -hmm. so i'm trying to just do like all right exact is my spot i've been doing well with exactas and trifectas i'm just gonna make my opinion in that pool, not complicated, not try to hit it, uh, you know, five ways from Sunday. I, I think it's always interesting when it comes down to that. And like something that me and um, our strong always talk about is if you're going to play the pick four, or pick five, make sure that you're going to play a win bet on your top horse in the sequence. That's going to mm -hmm. pay the amount of your ticket. That way, if your best bet, quote unquote, best bet hits and, you know, Rich Ang and horse racing for dummies said, if it's a 10 race card, find your three best spots on the, on the, on the card. And, you know, hopefully one or two of them, you know, are in back-to-back -back races. Okay, cool, Meg, and play the double. Uh, exactly what you said. It's, you see, you read all these things where it's like, no matter what edge you think you have, you should be in that pool. And, I mean, that's yeah. led me to sometimes having 15 tickets in a race. And I'm just like, it's an eight-horse main special weight. What am I doing? Oh, I have, like, six horses lined yeah. up in exactas. And, cool, I'm getting, you know, 4% edge. But I guess at the end of the day, like, if you're good enough at that, yeah, 4% sounds great. But a lot of times I'll hit like the second or third lowest and, you know, I may make a little bit of money. But it's hard tossing out 12 losers when you only have that one winner and you almost only break even. Yeah, it is, man. It is when you uh, had that good opinion, you can't uh, get a little something from it. You got you got to be able to do that. Yeah. I, you know, I've been trying to be skinny with my bets, and, you know, just really have, you know, just straights you know straight exactas straight trivectas or just trying to do a couple underneath you know that box a strong opinion and, and do a bunch of sort of mm -hmm. like real precise sort of work which you know I, th I think it helps me conserve my bankroll but it also makes it so there's you know less room for error and all that sort of stuff that can come sometimes save your bets so yeah man it's 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 been good but so you know a lot of times i hear people say you know when you're you know, Kitchen says has said that's the first time I heard anybody say it. You know, on the on the In the Money podcast, you know, when you're right, you want to make them pay, right? Mm -hmm. You want you want to fucking cash big. And I've always sort of interpreted that as when I'm right, I want to be right in all these different pools, all these different ways, and and really get the cash through those you know the different pools. But I think I just got to switch my mentality to to bigger bets, fewer pools. So that's where my head's at, man. I think though too, and you know, if you think about it, okay, there's ten races on the card. Let's say it's ten dollars a race, but your three best bets, okay, let's double that. So now we're at sixty. You still have forty for the rest of the day for the rest of the card. Uh, for me, it all depends on, and I try to use it as like a laddering system. Okay, I found the winner. Do I even have an opinion for a second? I don't. Cool, exact is out. Okay, next race. Right. Do I have an idea for the double? 
does it make sense to where I can either hammer two favorites or I can find a little bit of extra value? And then is the double even still worth it? Because do I just make more money by betting that second race on a win? Because you have to realize if you find value in that second race in the double, you're definitely playing a win bet in that second race. But is it worth playing the double back to front? And and that's what makes people lose in this game. I think people like exactly what you said. If you're going to play a hundred dollar bankroll. Yeah. And you're trying to do it long term. Well, you know, or let's call it 200. One percent of the bankroll is going to be, you know, one or two dollars. And that sucks. Oh, my God. I can only bet two dollars a race. This is a lifetime game. You shouldn't be jumping up stakes every month because that means you're hitting pick fours and pick fives and, and the variance is going to edge you out and you're just going to lose due to takeout. Unless if you just really, really good at picking your spots, a la Mike Samich. But, you know, Samich is a, is a man of the people and a man on his own. I mean, what he did a couple of years ago at Keeneland, I think he hit five pick fives in like an eight day span that were all, Shut up, really? that were all like five, ten, ten plus thousand tickets. It was disgusting. No shit, really? Yeah. Yep. That's fucking legendary. That's awesome, man. Um, that's that's it, man. Those pick five scores, those are the ones I do like to shoot for, man, for sure. Yeah. And it's it's been tough in terms of fairgrounds with just a little bit of you know smaller fields and a couple of the legs, or uh, you know just not having that turf racing. So not not as much uh, not whale money as shop jumping in and all that sort of stuff. So um, I want that pick five set up, and this is the track that I'm following close, but I'm not always sure if it's the the pool I need to be going into, that's for sure. I hear that. Let's uh let's try and get some some races under our belts here. Let's try and get the people, let's try and help each other with some ideas. We're gonna start off with this first race from this past Saturday at Fairgrounds. Probably one of the harder races, you know, just in general in you know, racing. Bottom level, state bred, maiden ten thousand, six furlongs on the dirt, buyer par we see is a thirty-eight, so these guys don't run all that fast. Still a tough race. I mean, when when I break it down, I see horses you know, Honeysuckle Delight kind of has to be in the card. Is the last race for real? Is it the two races beforehand? Six to five is kind of hard to stomach. Oh, for six at the fairgrounds, no five at the distance. I mean, how many more chances are we going to give a horse that's going to go off sub even money? I kind of wanted to look at two other horses. Easy Aces, the one to its inside, had that one race at 10K, ran fourth, but big price 12 to one, had a next out winner. I think the price is right here at Milankin. Or Gerald Melancon, I believe is how you say it. You know, zero percent. Team money. Team money. Oh, for 12. Three board places, a little bit scary. And also that race being in the slop. Don't know really what we're going to get there. I thought. Yeah, Gerard was- Mar- Melancon, real quick. You know, he's won over 5,000 career races. Gerard Mar- Melancon's been a legend around here. Another one of the great Cajun jockeys, um, you know, from that Lafayette area, the. You know what they call it, the cradle of jockeys. So uh, he's definitely one that uh, just popped over, just just joined the colony. He's been running Delta Downs, and he's been pretty successful the past couple of years. You know, he had a couple couple down years. Mm-hmm. Uh, horse on the inside, BB Gun Bullseye, thirty three last time out. Obviously, this one has been racing for state bred for a long time. You know, all these past few races, oh for seven, one third. That last or did come this last time out. Sometimes. When I'm looking through and I'm trying to find class levels, and this one finally all of a sudden hits the board, I circle that as this one's class level. So this one's going to run at this level again. It's got some droppers in here that can be scary. Not wanting Honeysuckle Delight, I thought BB Gun, Bullseye, and Easy Aces for me, and Wind Dutch would uh, hopefully get the job done. What'd you like in here, Kev? I like the way you're talking about BB Gun, Bullseye in terms of when you're trying to figure out these, you know, these state bred lower level races, and they are shifting in class. Yeah, the idea that maybe they didn't win when they dropped 
in class, but that they did run in the money, meaning that yeah, they're at that level. And you, it's almost like, hey, they've just run once before. So they've got a reason to, you know, they learn from that experience running against this this type of group and they, they should improve, right? I think that's, that's, that's really right on. Sadly, I did not assess this race in that way. I got duped, man. I took this uh, honeysuckle delight for all she was worth. I mean, you know, Calhoun's just been having a, having a great meet. He's done like nothing wrong. 34% winning, you know, winning percentage. Haven't seen him do, you know, a class dropper that was really just for sale yet. So I'm thinking I can trust this one going for maiden special weight to and claimers. And we've seen a lot of, a lot of runners make that class move so far this meet and, and get the win. So I said, all right, Honeysuckle Delight can't lose this thing. Got the speed figures. We'll, we'll toss out that last race. And uh, I thought Blessed the South, the number three, coming out for Denise Schmidt, another small barn who's, who's been really firing and doing well. Um, David Cohen hasn't had too many live mounts, but the ones he's had, he's, he's, ridden, he's ridden well. Uh, second time starter, can improve based off of that. And I had a little bit of a, you know, the, the, the trip that's in the, uh, the program there, just starting slow floating out getting steadied so i thought there could be an improvement there so what i did is just one big exact straight just the uh five on top of the three it's a five three exact for kevin i'm trying to get a little wind out here with bb gun bullseye and easy aces let's see who gets done right now coming back running at the fairgrounds and the first favorite, Honeysuckle Delight, was a touch slow to go. BB Gun Bullseye comes rocketing out from the rail for Manuel Nieves. It's BB Gun Bullseye went to the front from the gray. Ansley's Gumdrop, who broke through the gate prior to the start. Now here comes the first favorite, Honeysuckle Delight, and Relu Gutierrez in the Wildcat blew up into third. Blasted South gains with the rail. My Royal Princess is wide in fifth as they dash past the half mile. Easy aces in the black silks with Sadie's Port against the rail at the three and a half and beaten for speed. Grace's vision trails here in the Saturday opener. The quarter was 23.21 seconds inside three furlongs to go. With the rail, BB Gun Bullseye. Right there is Ansley's Gumdrop strutting up on the outside now. Here's My Royal Princess with a bid with Erica Murray. Honeysuckle Delight strains away in fourth. Bust to south against the rail as these maiden fillies and mares have turned for home. Half mile 47.56 seconds. BB gun bullseye with the rail. BB gun bullseye determined and holding on to a short lead from Ansley's gumdrop who needs the left in the final 16th. My Royal Princess is now one pace third. Easy aces far outside Sadie's Port with a late move, but they're close to home with Emmanuel Nieves. BB gun bullseye. BB Gun Bullseye wins by three quarters of length to Ansley's. And BB Gun Bullseye gets it done. 12.40, the winning mutual. 45, the winning buyer. I, I mean, that just tells me that the top two ran their eyeballs out about eight points over par. The next couple ran, you know, within the buyer par. My World Princess and Easy Aces. When I, when I look back at this race and I'm just looking overall at the chart, you know, one, two around the track, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think... The lower down in levels you go, the less, you know, extra moves I guess a horse makes. I kind of always feel when we get to these bottom level maiden claimers that it's kind of like, okay, they're going to make one move. And after that, yep. it's, it's kind of just it. They've kind of, you know, shot their shot. And it's either going to be good enough or not or not good enough. Yeah, I hear trainers talk often about uh, when you've got runners at this level that jocks who can basically like keep their, their horse focused and keep mm -hmm. them in the mix up close. And just keep on sort of asking them and putting them in the race. Um, they have a lot of success at this level, and I think that's the same sort of ideas. You're going to get one move, and if they, you know, they get too far back, it's just no way, not going to happen. You know, just trying to beat the wind. Um, 
Yeah, BB Gun Bullseye, this one makes me mad a little bit. Just spent a lot of time in Duhon's barn. He, he didn't say uh, that BB Gun Bullseye on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't get this runner, man. But yeah, this is one of those wins that he's starting to climb back up there uh, to uh, get those wins and have a, have a solid meet. I think, too, and the other reason, you know, just the 33 wasn't an aberration. He did have a 36-couple back for State Bright at Louisiana Downs. So he can run to that kind of mid-level 30, which is what's needed here. And when they get the lead like this and they get open length yeah. leads, you know, that 45, it's probably not as good as it looks. Yeah, the last time he had the lead, it was first off a layoff, his second start. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't as fit. And you could see he stepped forward in his second second run there, you know, on August 15th. And, yeah, it makes sense to think that if he get that lead again, then he could he could get bold and, and get it done. Well, well, um, the, one thing about the buyers, I haven't been paying as much attention, attention recently, but initially it seemed like they were a little inflated. I know there's some talk about it and all that sort of stuff, and people kept on saying, "No, nah, I think they're right." So maybe we've just had some really big runs here. But I know like Strobe got like a 99 or mm-hmm. something like that, some huge number. Maybe maybe he had like a 102 in this last race. And Corona Bolt had a 99. It's some some people were being like, "Ah, I think this is a little bit too high." So when we when you see a little spike like that with the buyers, maybe makes me think that maybe it's a little bit higher than than they ran. But who knows? Honeysuckle Dwight, some quick thoughts on this runner for me kind of just ran back to that fairgrounds race the last one with a 13 i think too like if you look overall just at the life of this horse you know hasn't been the most fit can only go about three or four races before needing the bench and then all of a sudden just falls off the face of the earth and then calhoun drops him to 10 and i guess you're not yeah. gonna ever drop to 10 after a, a bad race but when you can't when you're taking a maiden special weight horse that has shown just missing at that level and then goes down for again under even money as well and just cannot pick up a hoof. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard. You got me thinking, actually, because Calhoun just on Monday did another class dropper with a stakes runner down into a $20,000 claimer. Um, what's your name? She's gone to wild. And I, I picked up on that one just from having talked to you know him before. Mm-hmm. I think he probably just gave up on her and, or, or thought maybe she'd wake up and figure it out at that level. But um makes me think about the sort of – the rhythm of a trainer's meet, you know, when they're, when they're winning and when they decide they want to, you know, drop some horses from their, from their barn and, and all those sort of things. So that's something kind of interesting to think about. Maybe Calhoun will have another couple uh, class droppers here as he's putting some, some items on sale and that sort of stuff. Something definitely look out. Let's move on to the next race. Race number seven from the fairgrounds optional at 50,000 and two X one on one sixteen miles on the dirt. Got some interesting ones in here. I thought for, a quote unquote such a small race. I thought this race kind of really broke down to two horses for me. And that's big blue line on the inside. I think if we look at this one, had one an allowance level, you know, four or five back. Then it ended up going into a bunch of stakes, an oversized optional claimer, you know, with twelve runners at Keeneland going a distance. Then drops back down to eighty, ends up in the slop, still runs a solid number. And I thought that this one would kind of keep its form and had run so well in the allowance level. And now it found, again, another one that found its class level. You know, second by six, not the best. But now we get back on a dry surface, big blue line for me. One that interests me. Ended up going off a little bit too short of a price. The other one for me was Treasury. The last two races have looked excellent. 91-87. That big blowout work for uh, Grant Forrester had me thinking, yep, this one does love to run second. But when I'm looking at the switcheroo of odds here, instead of getting two to one, I'm getting three to one. And then I'm getting under two to one on big blue line. I like both. I went with the better odds with Treasury. Treasury for the win. Yep. Yeah, me too, man. I, I, I did a did a big 
win bet on treasury and single this this runner in my uh my multi-race wagers it's just you know he he's every time he comes out he faces some of the toughest ones out there you know it was zozos last time um at least the toughest ones you know in his division here at fairgrounds current shared sense proxy um dustin was a was a big time runner too that was just rounded out into huge form for sarah delaney another solid trainer around here and so i was like all right Yes, there's other runners in here, but they're not those runners. And Treasury seems to be able to get the easy lead. And if he can just go on with it, he can just wire this field for sure. But, you know, I've got to mention the third graph pattern because you know me, right? Mm-hmm. Big Blue Line, Nelson Avenue, they both were uh, projecting a new top run. I was like, ah, shit. All right, what am I going to do here? Am I going to bet this Treasury? So I faded that information from my head and just went all in on Treasury, which... We'll see how that works out. Consensus pick here for me and Kevin Rowan with the number six treasury. Let's see if he gets it done right now. Big blue line, Nelson Avenue, and they're quickly headed off by Treasury, who's gone to the front here for Deshaun Parker. Treasury leads out from toward the inside. Big blue line with Nelson Avenue close up as they enter the first turn. Nepotism near the rail with Beaver Hat and the White Cap, and in the early stages, well settled by Jared Lubberry. Captivating Moon has dropped back to last at the six and a half. It's Treasury who dictates the field. Treasury leads by a couple of lengths. Florent Giroux and Nelson Avenue in the Godolphin Blue in the pursuer's role. Corey Lannery and Big Blue Line nestled in third toward the rail by a length. Marcelino Pedroza Jr. and Beaver Hat in fourth place. Brian Hernandez Jr. in nepotism with the rail as Treasury leads to five furlongs from home and Captivating Moon remains last. It's Treasury who leads to a half mile from home. Treasury by a tight length to a close-up Nelson Avenue. Big blue line right at the leader's heels. Beaver Hat and Nepotism a joint fourth and the Captivating Moon trails. Six lengths from tip to tail. And still on top is Treasury. Half mile in 48.49 seconds after that 24.49 first part. Inside three furlongs to go. It's Treasury who's looking to lead them all the way here for Deshaun Parker as Nelson Avenue now comes with a strong challenge for Treasury at the top of the fairground stretch together. Nelson Avenue and Treasury as they straighten up. Three quarters in 1 minute 12.85 seconds. Big Blue Line was now switched out and here's Big Blue Line who's charging up and after Nelson Avenue and Treasury toward the rail. That's Big Blue Line who's bounded to the lead for Corey Lannery. Big Blue Line is racing away with yards to go. Big Blue Line. Big Blue Line just poured it on. Big Blue Line won by three and a half. And Big Blue Line gets it done. 96 the winning buyer. 580 the winning price. Uh, when I look at this race, listen, the public had it dead to rights. Top three. Finished top mm-hmm. three. And Treasury running right back to that 88. I mean, the one that I'm upset about here is really not even Nelson Avenue, who just I thought would bounce. And guess what? You're either right or you're wrong about that. And if they bounce... You're gonna look really smart when they don't. They 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 run for second and you know at five to two, probably the right price in that type of runner to take that kind of shot. I mean, big blue line just ran absolutely lights out. Ninety six the winning buyer, like I said. But if you look, you know, again, uh, first and second at the quarter pole in that first race. Now it's you know one two three and four battling it out here. Obviously, big blue line with a nice extra win by over three lengths. So I mean. For me, that's a big time win when he can win by over three ranks, especially on the dirt. Uh, yeah, not not. Yeah, he looked good, man. Yeah, I mean, in this race, not so much extra to say, extra to say, except for 
I think in this type of race, sometimes the public will pick the favorite. They'll pick the right one. And you kind of have to go with it with where your odds line is. And at three to one, you know, yes, it's opposite of what the morning line maker. And obviously the public didn't like this one enough to, you know, boost them up. But off of a yeah. bullet workout, those two good races, I thought this one at, at that type of price I'm willing to take. Yeah. And treasury definitely could have, could have won. He, he ran, he ran a race. He ran a good race. You know, he got to the lead. Um, and I was talking to Grant about the run a couple of days after, and he, he, he just thinks that treasury just needs to go and not wait for the other runners and not mm-hmm. sort of be measured in any way. He's just an all out send horse. And, uh, maybe if he would have just uh, put some distance in between him and the, and the field, he could have, you know, maintained his advantage and really dug in because that's just his running style. So, uh, yeah, treasury could have got it done. Parker would have, would have sent him a little bit, a little bit harder possibly. And, you know, just something good to think about if you're going to look at this runner again in the future. Let's move on to race number nine. Going back to the maiden special weight level, six furlongs on the dirt. Super interesting race to kind of finish out. I thought the one, Cloud Without Rain, I thought this one was more of a board horse, one that I wanted to kind of have underneath. Over analytical, though, was my top pick here at six to one off that maiden 30,000 race last time out. 72 was the buyer for running second. I just thought, you know, listen, not a lot of times do they improve, and this one has improved definitely since getting down to the maiden claiming level. I didn't really like anything else in here. I didn't want Boss Island in coming off the two, you know, good and sloppy surface races. Over analytical to me, it was just seemed to be the right price off that six to one morning line. And when you look in at what we were at here, we got, you know, a little bit worse, nine to two. I like that little Bob, you know, from the public taking that, you know, horse didn't absolutely crush, but you know, enough people liked it to move the odds down a little bit. So I liked over analytical. Yeah. Over analytical, uh, some friends and I have a little list of, of trip horses and, you know, we kind of help each other in that sort of way. And this is one of those that was, that was on there and uh, definitely just ran a, a strong race, had a nice little step up in, in figures and seemed like, seemed like a live runner for, for Shane Wilson cloud without rain. I like that angle when you, when we know that a horse had broken through the gate before running that they probably would have ran a, a bigger race and, um, you know, it just takes a lot out of you to run into a wall before you go run a mile or run, you know, three quarters of a mile. So I like those two. I really like Bosses dialing in the number six, just a runner who just seems to have ran a winning race several times and just hasn't got the win, you know, running into some tough fields or some tough track conditions. Um, Duhon did say that Bosses dialing was doing well when I was in his barn. So that helped think about. So I just went all in in the trivecta pool, single Bosses dialing in over those other two runners. Um, which were also short prices. So just kind of pressed up on that opinion. I was a little bit worried about G's Million. Patricia West, we were talking about having a great meet, doing no wrong. Seemed like that runner who took some early money that last race could be uh, could be live in here. And there's some other sort of interesting ones. War Room, Tristan the Night Away. Um, seemed like maybe they could get some form and then a couple first-time starters. But Tim Tao coming out from Michelle Lovell. Usually her runners don't. Uh, fire that first time in her barn. She's a little patient with them, you know, methodical. Uh, big field. I like that we've had these big fields at the uh, the end of the the sequence on most days. Mm-hmm. There's been some some good good betting races and some good things to bet into for sure. So for Kevin, we're looking at Boss dialing in. For me, I'm going for a bit of a price with over analytical. Let's see who gets it done right now. Off. 
Nice line out. Cloud without rain comes dashing out from the rail for James Graham to just lead G's Million with a white cap. Tim Tell gets position running in third with War Room in fourth for the run to the half mile pole. The next wave over analytical with Trumptastic with in between horses Bourbon Day, who's also right there looking to uh, gain ground for the run toward the half mile pole where Cloud without rain just leads G Million and Tim Tell across the track. War Room is running in fourth. Bourbon Day in fifth at the three and a half. Then comes toward the inside over analytical with Bosses dialing in, gaining between horses. Trumptastic is the next great little man can is wide. And Tristan the Night Away trails the maiden sprint here in the Saturday finale. The quarter blew past in 22.07 seconds as they turn for home. Cloud without rain. Tim Tal sweeps and G's million between horses. Bosses dialing in, now getting into top speed on the far outside half mile in 46.21 seconds. It's Tim Tal tackled by Bosses dialing in, who gets those left-handers from Emmanuel Nieves and up to the front. Bosses dialing in goes from Tim Tal past the 16th. Trumptastic is running on. Then on the outside Bourbon Day, but close to home. Bosses dialing in, raced away. Bosses dialing in, takes it by four. And Boss dialing in, does get the job done. 73, the winning buyer. 640, the winning mutual. A couple of short. Yes, but, but but I can't take any credit for, for getting it done there because I, I whiffed on the trivecta. And that's the only it's the only bet I played. So uh, right horse on top at a, at a short price. But uh did not cash nothing on that one. Fair enough. Fair enough. Still, I think that this is also an interesting spot because obviously I took a horse that, you know, took no money from the public in the last race. And I didn't do the same thing in this race. And, you know, either you're right or wrong. It's always a 50 50. This one ended up being the right one to be on. What's no for analytical just did not run back to that last race. Nope. One, you know, nope. When you're that far back, you know, in eighth place, it's going to be hard to come and get the win, although when you're coming from ninth to get the win, that's what makes me think that over analytical's ride was not ride was bad, but just the race. When you have a closer win, and usually you downgrade the closers anyway in dirt races, and none of them came running either, that's when it gets kind of scary. Like Trumptastic, I'd won out of this race. You know, other horses, you know, Cloud Without Rain, the other fa- ended up running going on favorite. I could not understand the odds on this horse. You know, just completely did not show up here at all. And I think, you know, when you see the last couple of races, this one kind of seems to have an in and out type of form going right now. Bad race, good race, bad race, good race. So this is the bad race out of the way. Maybe Cloud Without Rain's one you need next time out. And maybe we'll get a little bit better odds. Supposed to go off at nine to two, goes off favored. Maybe we can get three to one, seven to two next time out. Yeah. Yeah. That horse did take all the money, right? Dollar fifty on that one. Yeah. Boss is dialing in. That was a, that was a damn good effort after, you know, really being shuffled back early. It seemed like it wasn't going to work out. This is a runner that's been towards the front most of the runs. And uh, so that was a big run. That was a big effort by Boston's Island and maybe, maybe would have won by, by more. We had that horse, Izzy on deck, win by 24 lengths earlier in the meet. That was a, that was a pretty big margin for, uh, I think it was, a, I don't know, it was, a, it was definitely a lower level horse. That is all the time we have for today's podcast. I do want to thank my special guest, Kevin Kilroy, for coming on, talking all things fairgrounds with me. Thank you so much, Kev. Hey, man. It's been great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And the rest of the podcast on the In The Money Media Network. I also want to thank my special guest, Kevin Kilroy, for coming on and talking all things fairgrounds racing. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Pornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.